0: Here to dive into industry trends with leading ETF experts, this is ETF Spotlight with Nina Mishra.
1: Hello and welcome to ETF Spotlight. I'm your host Nina Mishra. My guest today is Eric Balchunas, Senior ETF Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence and host of the Trillions podcast. We're talking about the top ETF stories of 2021 and also the outlook for the new year 2022. A look ahead to the new year. Eric, welcome back. Great to have you on the show.
2: It's great to be here. I had a good time last time and I'm looking forward to another one this time.
1: Sure. So, This year is again turning out to be another banner year for ETF asset gathering with year-to-date inflows for U.S.-listed ETFs close to $900 billion and global ETFs pulling in more than $1 trillion. And we know that. uh, We have talked about it uh, many times. Uh, Investors prefer ETFs because they're more tax-efficient. They're usually cheaper than mutual funds. Uh, And most of this new money has gone into low cost, those cheap beta US stock funds. Unlike last year when bond ETFs also got a lot of love from investors and that makes a lot of sense because the stock market continues to do so well this year despite the recent roller coaster ride, both the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq uh, QQQ, they are more uh, up more than 25% year to date. And then there are worries over inflation and eventual hike in rates, uh, which the Fed may start sometime next year. So that is why investors don't like bonds now. And within bonds, investors obviously are looking at uh, inflation-protected products and shorter duration products. So I would love to hear your take on ETF inflows and where they went. Did that surprise you? And also your forecast for ETF asset growth in 2022.
2: Sure, yeah, so uh, well, um, the majority of the flows did go to cheap beta, namely on the equity side. Equity ETFs took in $657 billion, which is You know nearly three times their old record which was no i'm sorry it's double their old record it's nearly three times what they took in last year but double their old record just about i mean it's it's unbelievable that's a lot of money um and within that though look i mean value etf took in 70 billion that's more than double their old record and value has struggled for a lot of years so i think the difference this year was you had a lot of what i call bench players uh contributing uh that would be small caps value Inflation protected securities commodities uh, international all those saw looks this year and so when you have cheap beta and tech continuing to do their thing you just mentioned the returns of the S&P and the queues. Um, you also have the bench players so that breadth Was the difference this year in my opinion. I'll also say I think the ETF is just continuing to hit its tipping point where so many people would rather just use that structure so you had a lot of people try to uh, move over into ETFs, like an active mutual fund converted to an ETF. Uh, you had a lot of people uh, experiment with new types of active strategies. And so more and more, uh, the more innovation and wider the tent gets, the more you're going to have even uh, more flows beyond the cheap beta. And that's good. I think you want a diverse big tent kind of thing, and the tent keeps expanding. Um, but your point on bond ETFs, it's interesting. That definitely was a story last year. They took in $209 mil- billion, which was the record um, by a lot. But get this, they're, they're only $10 billion behind that as we speak with about a week and a half left. It's possible they have a record year this year, too. And that's with that sort of post-Fed hangover where you saw LQD and HYG uh, see a lot of outflows because everybody had bought it in 2020, front-running the Fed. That trade unwound and definitely took away from fixed income. But i they're am they're probably going to break the record. Uh, so it's just all relative. It's not as nearly as... big of a breaking of the record uh, as you see on the equity side in a variety of places so um i'm i'm stunned i did not think ETFs would take in this much they usually beat the record by 50 billion maybe so to beat it by 400 billion is beyond my expectations so that's why next year i'm going to scale it down a little and predict maybe a half a half a trillion 500 billion because i don't think the market's going to be as kind it can't um statistically speaking You're only supposed to get seven to nine percent a year from the S&P 500 like that's that's a good deal. Um, So it returning twenty five twenty seven percent is just so ridiculous that at some point it's it's, we're going to have to pay that back and that will definitely dampen flows a little.
1: Very interesting. So uh, another very big story this year was the conversion of mutual funds into ETFs. And again, that is also because investors just love ETFs. Now, uh, DFA was the biggest one to convert mutual funds into ETFs. And uh, we know that mutual funds have attracted just about $45 billion this year, compared that to almost a trillion by ETFs. Uh, So that is why all big asset managers even those which were holdouts earlier they are either launching uh, new etfs or converting uh, frank uh, franklin templeton uh, just announced uh, last week that they'll be converting two of their mutual funds into etfs and uh, your note i saw your note you predict that uh, over the coming decade one trillion worth of mutual funds will be converted to ETFs. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, no, we're we're very bullish conversions. I mean, um, put yourself in the position of an active mutual fund manager who maybe came to prominence in the '90s, and it's been a little rough lately. You're seeing outflows. You're not sure what to do. Everybody's going to ETFs. Now, there's there's a really two main options, right? That's to launch a new clonish version of your strategy, which is like what T. Rowe Price and Fidelity did. Um, either transparent or active non transparent or you could take a fund and convert it. And I think a lot of them are choosing to convert it. And we think this is a going to see more and more action and I'll tell you why. Um, The idea of coming over into the ETF world with as a new ticker especially if you're an active strategy that's charging between 40 and 70 basis points. And you know you're you're really like benchmark aware like you're not taking big bets like arc. In other words you're neither cheap nor shiny you're going to starve. I mean, no one's going to buy your fund and it's going to be uh, frankly embarrassing. And we've seen like Fidelity Magellan, I think it still has under hundred million. That thing was a stud back in the nineties and eighties. Um, you can you just tell how much the world has turned by converting. You can come in with some assets, uh, a performance track record. It carries over and you come in with dignity. Um, you know, and I think DFA has shown that they're, they're the player. They're now the 11th biggest issuer. And there's just something about having assets attached to your ETF that uh, is is good for the, the pride, the ego, the momentum, and the general mojo that you need to make it into the ETF world. So the other thing that is positive is if you convert a mutual fund to an ETF, over time, through the creation redemption process over a number of years, you can probably sort of wash out some of the gains you're sitting on. And it really severely improve the tax efficiency of your um, e, uh, 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 well I guess of the mutual fund that would then be an ETF so there's a tax motive as well so you add all that together we think there'll be a trillion um, within the next 10 years granted that still would only be about 10 percent of all active uh, equity and bond ETF so it's it's not a you know it's not a even though the number sounds big it's not that big
1: Right, Uh, conversion makes a lot of sense. Now let's talk about the biggest ETF story of the year, which was the launch of a bitcoin futures etf bitter uh, this uh, was quickly able to gather more than a billion in assets and uh, that was i think main, thanks mainly to some pent-up demand but the two that came after bito they have kind of struggled uh, in asset gathering and uh it seems that investors still want a spot Bitcoin ETF. They are not much interested in futures-based Bitcoin ETF now, and we have seen the drag and performance due to futures rollover in BITO. So do you think we will finally see a spot Bitcoin ETF in 2022? And also, what are your thoughts on maybe approval of an Ether ETF?
2: So... If I had to bet, I would bet, no, we, there will not be a spot ETF in 2022. Um, I wish I, I my you know, it's sort of like a, when you say, are the Eagles, the, I'm an Eagles fan, are they going to win this weekend? Sometimes, like, my heart says yes, my brain says they're not. This is the same deal. Uh, my my heart really wants a spot Bitcoin ETF, but my brain is is really telling me it's not going to happen. And simply because Gensler just has put down... The reason a futures ETF was approved because Gensler signaled through his words what he wanted, how he wanted it, and why he was okay with a 40-act futures ETF. That if you look at his words towards the spot and the Bitcoin market in general, they're not good. So until those words change, and there's some clues in his verbiage, uh, I just have to be bearish on it. Unfortunately, I think it's you know so uh, inconsistent, and uh, if any, it's almost malpractice not to approve one at this point. Or you know. Seven, eight other countries have spotted Bitcoin ETFs, even in Canada. They work fine. It's fine. I mean, anyway, let me get off my soapbox on that. Um, the Ether ETF, yes. I, I, not a spot one, though. I think we'll see an Ether Futures ETF before we see a spot Bitcoin. Um, that is possible. And then once they do Ether, they'll do a combo of Bitcoin-Ether Futures. The problem with the Futures is the roll. So is going to co- uh, probably end up uh, having a roll cost of 14 to 15% this year. If if somebody offered you a fund that had an expense ratio of 15%, you would never buy it. And that's why advisors probably won't bite on it to your comments earlier. You're right. Um, You know, maybe if they get desperate enough, a couple will. But I see it more as a trading product. We've always said a futures Bitcoin ETF is going to be the USO of Bitcoin, not the GLD. That's not here yet. Uh, The GLD is the one where the big money will come in. And then once they approve spot, what's going to get really interesting, they'll, they'll have ultimately, you'll have like an S and P 500 of crypto. It might might be more like eight, uh, uh, digital currencies, but it'll be like Bitcoin ether. And it will be like the, you know, crypto index fund. It'll probably be cheap. And that's going to be the tens of billions of dollars that, you know, that we, uh, anticipate. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's sort of where it stands now. Um, and I think, um, you know that I will say for Bittos in its defense. Even though it's not good long term it's a great trading tool. Think about this. You could trade Bitto- um, you know obviously very liquid. It will charge you 0.01% per trade so that's the that's the spread- um, you know Coinbase to trade Bitcoin uh, you may pay up like 1.5 percent. So it's hundred and fifty times cheaper to trade than Coinbase so if you're trading Bitcoin and you're an institution looking to hedge or do some quick things. I, I this Bitto should be right up your alley and the correlation to spot is ninety nine percent. It's great. It's underrated. I think in that regard uh, oh, 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 everybody just focuses on that roll cost which is legit. But as a trading tool I think it has a lot of a lot to offer.
1: Yeah it doesn't make sense that the SEC is not approving when they are trading so well in so many other parts of the world. Canada in particular, and so many crypto ETPs in Europe also are trading very well. So yes, uh, but it seems that uh, Gensler is very much concerned about the potential for fraud and manipulation, which also doesn't make much sense because if the spot market is manipulated, then the futures would in turn would be manipulated too. But uh, yes, uh, we will probably not see a spot Bitcoin ETF anytime soon. Now let's talk about the ETF story, which was the biggest ETF story last year, ARK ETFs. Uh, So ARK was the biggest ETF asset gatherer last year because their funds did so well. Three of their actively managed ETFs were among the top 10. Now this year, Kathy Wood's products are struggling. Her flagship product is uh, the ARK Innovation ETF. ARKK is down more than 22% year-to-date. And the Genomics ETF, which was the best performer last year, that is down 32% year-to-date. The other two, Fintech and next generation internet ddf they are also down about 17 18% and uh, we saw some slowdown in inflows into our ETFs, but we haven't really seen that investors are rushing for exits. Cathy Wood's fans are sticking by her, and Cathy believes in her strategies. She thinks that these uh, growth stocks, uh, they are in the deep value territory um, right now. Uh, and I admire Kathy. I mean, I may not necessarily agree with her or her strategies at this point, but I admire her conviction. So I was interested in thoughts on ARC ETFs and their assets uh, this year.
2: Yeah, I mean, you just covered a lot. And I think, uh, you, you, you know, you really nailed this situation right now. Uh, you know, some people are so um, brutal to her and ARK. And I think there was a lot there's a lot of people in, in the Wall Street apparatus especially active managers who are just bitter that she was successful and they weren't. And there's a lot of hate and just even a little misogyny. And I think I, I, I I fight that a lot on Twitter yet. There are some legitimate claims and some things that you should look at. For example, arc is still up about 40% annual since they launched. That's an amazing record, but a lot of people bought in, as you said, right when it was like at the peak. And so they're underwater. Um, and that's a fact; you can't deny that. But you know, she can't control that. She's just trying to kick butt with her returns, and she has. Um, and it was bound to come back. It was it was almost like a speed limit. It was going eighty in a forty miles an hour uh, speed zone. It was too too big, too hot, too fast in twenty twenty. It had to come down. So now it comes down, and the question is, where do we go from here? And look, uh, you know, who knows? It's, uh, since its peak, it's almost down forty percent. The people haven't sold though, and, and we called this when it was hard to call right in March when it looked like oh here it's gonna blow up now everybody's gonna run for the exits we said no, no they're not. And the reason we said this. And we keep saying it. And we're we keep being right. Is because portfolios have changed. The r- people who own arc. Are more than likely people who have. A portfolio that has like Vanguard in the core. Or at least a BlackRock cheap beta ETF. Boring vanilla dirt cheap very good for you. But man it's like watching paint dry. So they're looking for something that's a little exciting to decorate that with. Even to keep them distracted so they don't touch that core. And Kathy is offering the perfect thing which is. These are stocks that even, you know only 2% overlap. With the S&P they're not profitable. but Hey if they really pay off and, and these visions we see come to true. There's a lot of asymmetric return here it's almost like a pitch for private equity. That you get to an institution. So e- people put it on there. For that hope five ten years that it, it has it produces some ridiculous Additive return, but it's not their whole portfolio nest egg, and that's why people are not selling it. And it's bugging. I can tell it's bugging people. They're like, they they think people should run for the exits and get out of here. And it's interesting. People will be like, well, I told you uh, all these uh, awful non-profitable tech stocks. Uh, I I told you it'd blow up, and I'm like, hey, well, first of all, it hasn't blown up. It just you know has a drawdown. Second, if you look at the stocks in the portfolio, these are not really radical names. I and mean, we were talking about like. You know tesla uh roku coinbase uh teledoc spotify i mean most people use all these stocks i mean this is really not a crazy portfolio uh and i th- also think that in time uh you know arc will if it keeps going down there will be some people who probably just can't handle it but i think arc just really you know fits in the vanguardian era um because when if you make the case that well Kathy doesn't look at fundamentals enough well most people already own the fundamentally sound serious investor stocks in their Vanguard five hundred or total market fund. So that's what I think a lot of active managers are missing. And so if you're an active manager and you're like jealous or hate hating on Kathy. You're fighting the wrong enemy your enemy is Vanguard and you're and you're losing Vanguard is kicking you out of the core of the portfolio. And. Basically, if anything, ARC is competing with crypto, theme ETFs, and other hot saucy and kind of strategies, not T. Rowe Price, Fidelity, et cetera. Those guys are competing against Vanguard and, and losing.
1: Excellent description of our strategies. Another thing uh, I wanted to talk about is EDF launches. And this has been a record year for EDF launches as well. About 450 new products have made their debut this year. And uh, surprisingly, more than half of them are actively managed, and that does. Thank in part to success of Cathy's products, I think. And then we saw a lot of new thematic uh, ETF launches, some factor-based ETF launches. ESG continues to be hot in new products. So what are your thoughts on these uh, new product launches? uh, And which are your favorite new ETFs which made their debut in 2021?
2: Yeah, um, it's a lot of launches. Um, we track this stuff, and we can't keep up. It's 1.7 ETFs coming out every day, on average. And get this, it's about seven per day globally. Um, they're launching them even crazy, you know, more quickly overseas. So, if we're basically looking at something like, um, you know, uh, new launches, it's they're very active. Uh, the majority of them are doing either discretionary active, like Kathy Wood or uh more traditional active like uh, you know like I said fidelity T row or um, they're doing you know uh, index funds but they have an active tilt like a theme ETF yes we're, we're tracking index but the index is designed to be active and different if you add all that together you get oh, that's where all the launches are and the reason for that is just the what we said a minute ago which is uh the core which is be- cheap beta I call that the core wars that's where Blackrock and Vanguard and like Schwab and even in VESCO, just battle over like who can go one basis point cheaper. It is no place to make a living. I mean, it would be a kamikaze mission to launch, uh, uh, try to compete with like VOO or uh, VTI or something like that. That's that's really not where you are gonna you know try your new idea. So therefore, obviously, all the new launches are going to be non-cheap beta. They're going to be wild and crazy stuff, and they're going to continue to get wilder and crazier simply because of what i said people are looking for something extremely different than their boring cheap beta and so you're going to see um you know ridiculous things launch and but within that some of those ridiculous ones will actually take root um and it's just the way it's going to be and it'll drive people crazy some of my favorite launches this year you know the metaverse etf i love when an etf is able to beat the news flow by a little bit like the cybersecurity did metaverse launched um and then a month later uh, Zuckerberg announced changing Facebook name to Metaverse, and bam, uh, the thing just has a billion dollars now. Um, so it basically was able to front run or get ahead of that. Um, another one that I, I like that launched this year is Vote. That's the engine number one. I'm not a huge fan of ESG ETFs. I mean, I, if you want to do them fine, I just think they're maybe mismarketed. Um, I don't know how much good you do by, you know, I don't know, buying, like, mostly the S&P, but maybe eliminating a couple stocks. I think vote is like, hey, give us your money. We'll, we'll track the S&P 500 because we know that's a tough to beat. You like that beta. We'll only charge you five bips, so we're vanguardian fee. But what we're going to do is we're going to be activists. So we're going to use our voice and our connections to bigger holders of these stocks to, to get them to change. Because that's how you're really going to change things is by voting. And who has the voting power? Vanguard, BlackRock, T-Row, a couple big institutions like CalPERS. And engine number one is – is uh, is very familiar with those, those holders. So it's almost like, um, equivalent of a tugboat engine. Number one is this little tugboat trying to tow these large aircraft carriers towards a vote on a, on a company. Um, and that to me makes a lot of sense. Um, and therefore you don't ever have to have regret because the thing with ESG is if, if if you buy it and it, it lags the S and P and we've studied, it's almost nothing beats the S and P long-term. It's just such a beast. And whether it's an index fund or a, or active fund, it's just hard to beat. Whereas, so you know, you're know, you really gonna be okay missing out, uh, let's say one percentage point a year, annualized in the S&P, just to be ESG. Uh, I think that people will have a lot of regret if they do that. And so I think that's why ESG is is gonna be limited. But the idea of trying to use investing to impact change is here to stay. And there's definitely some good ESG does in, in terms of how to evaluate a company from a fundamental standpoint. So I'm not bearish ESG totally, I'm just bearish on the idea that you're gonna, you, somebody's gonna sell their Vanguard 500 for three bips. Oh yeah, let me get that out of my portfolio and buy this, this ESG fund that charges five times that, and hopefully I'll I'll perform. Uh, it just it just does not it doesn't make sense to me, um, and I think it's gonna it's gonna struggle and it's gonna underperform relative to the hype. It'll have a niche, but it's not ne- nearly gonna live up to the promise that the hype would have you believe. In my opinion.
1: Yeah, both VOTE and Meta, they are on my list of best new ETFs for 2021 as well. VOTE, as you mentioned, it makes a lot of sense. This is new kind of socially responsible or ESG investing, which actually makes a lot of sense, and Meta because the Metaverse, uh, the theme is so hot. Uh, So that also makes a lot of uh, sense. And probably we will see more Metaverse-themed ETFs in 2022 as well. Now, Meta is a very good ETF ticker as well, and Roundhill is an expert in picking those catchy ETF tickers. So in addition to Meta, which are your favorite new tickers uh, of ETFs that launch in uh, 2021?
2: Yeah, no. Um, you can't talk about ETFs without talking about the tickers, and honestly, tickers really help. If you can put a good ticker on something, um, it you know can really help you know push it forward and get it in front of people um, and define it. Um, you know, so a couple this year that I think are, were good meme. I mean, that's that's very good ticker. I don't know how much this ETF will will succeed. I think the meme stock thing might have been, uh, you know, might have been peaked and it's fading away, but great ticker um i also like boat that's the uh you know travel and leisure um, sh- i'm sorry the shipping etf i like that one because i i think of uh i'm on a boat the uh snl rap video i love that it's funny and i just yeah i don't I, I like thinking <laughs> of that yeah um and then i'm uh i like the uh bad which is, just came out today actually um bad yeah, yes that mm-hmm. one look uh it's, it's very easy and it's sort of just owning the fact that it holds all these sin stocks. Um, and I like that. I just sort of, it breaks through. You, you know exactly what it does within two seconds. And that's what a ticker should do. And it's memorable. Um, and also like bad because it's, again, it's sort of like a counter to the ESG trend. And then it's saying, actually, we're gonna hold all the stuff that you guys don't like because we think there's gonna be opportunity here. So um, I would go with those.
1: Right, love those. There's one more I'll add to the list, FOMO. FOMO, I think that was yeah. aptly, aptly described. That was
2: bound to happen. Just, I think, you know, FOMO yeah. was was one of those that you you, you knew was going to happen at some point. By the way, let's just take a second to give a shout out to Valkyrie though. Valkyrie, when they were launching their Bitcoin ETF, they changed the ticker from BTF to BTFD <laughs> for and yeah, so for yes. a day or two there, they were going to launch a Bitcoin futures ETF with the ticker BTFD. Which I won't define because this is a family show, um, but the the SEC just I don't know they were like get out of here so they changed it back to BTF but that probably would have instantly been the greatest ticker of all time but it it wasn't it just the SEC couldn't get couldn't be comfortable with yeah. it but I you know give them credit for trying
1: sure sure totally agree with you now the most important question. Uh, do you have any favorite picks for twenty twenty two or what should investors watch for the next year.
2: Yeah so I, I have a couple Um the I, I don't know if it's going to go up or down but ones that I am going to be thinking about as we go into the next year and checking up on. One of them is the copper miners ETF COPX. Um, copper tends to be a good inflation hedge. And it's also a risk on play so. If I think most investors would say I feel good, but I'm scared of inflation. Well, this is a this is the sweet spot, and copex has has been around for about twelve years, and and nobody cared about it until the last year, um, and now it's got 1.5 billion. Yeah, I love that story of an ETF just hanging on in oblivion for a decade, and finally its number comes up. A lot of ETFs close before that day that day arrives. So that's one. Um, another one is bits. We talked about O and the roll cost of Bitcoin futures. GlobalX has this ETF called BITS, which is half um, the Bitcoin stocks, like blockchain stocks. And the other half is Bitcoin futures, but it uh, futures in the middle of the curve. So the roll isn't as bad. So I think this is more palatable to an advisor. The total roll co- cost in this should be 2 to 3% a year, much more uh, digestible, I think, than the 15%. So I think that's a product I think might be able to get through to the advisor world given it's going to be there's no nasty surprise in terms of the roll cost Uh, but you get a little extra kick beyond a blockchain theme ETF. Um, And then I'm also going to watch USMV. USMV is uh, the minimum vol ETF. It's finally having a good run again but it had two years where it underperformed and everybody left. And I'm wondering if people will come back. You know we've seen these trends where like currency hedge was a big deal and then when it didn't work people left and then it started working people didn't come back. So we have this phrase on the team called second bite at the apple. And you normally do not get a second bite of the apple. Will Loval get that second bite? We don't know, and but I'll certainly be watching to see if it does.
1: Very interesting picks USMV, BITS, and COPX. And this year, lithium and uranium did so well. So maybe 2022 will be the year of copper. We will see. Uh, well, but that's hold, all hold we on. have time. Can I just say something yes. here?
2: Can I height my voice sure. by saying URNM was on our list last year? We have we wow. do um, ETFs to look out for next year, and URNM was was on our, our list last year. It's a what a great story. Um, I'm a yeah. big fan of the nuclear situation, and uh, it's volatile, but I think long term, I think most people are coming around that you need it for to solve climate change, or it has to be part of it. So URNM um, has had just URNM basically had what we're seeing happen in COPEX now. I guess I would say
1: yeah that is also another way of investing in esg which makes sense so definitely very interesting and uh, that's all we have time for today eric thank you so much for joining us and happy holidays to you and your family
2: oh same to you and it was a pleasure talk to you next time
1: thanks for listening this is actually our last podcast episode for this year we'll be back next year with more interesting topics and more interesting guests And I wanted to thank all our listeners for their support, for their rating reviews, and I wanted to wish everyone very happy holidays and a very happy new year as well. Uh, please make sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you do not miss any episode. And if you like our show, please leave us a rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. If you have any comments, questions or suggestions, please email podcast at zax.com.